Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I want to talk with you this morning about the distinctives of falsehood. The distinctives of falsehood. Before we read the scripture, I'd like to pray. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for the wonderful worship we've experienced already. I appreciate so much the praise band and for those who have chosen to be here to worship you in your house this morning. I pray, Lord, that your presence that we all feel will be enough, will be worthwhile, making it worthwhile that we came out to Palmetto Baptist this morning. Lord, there's so much in our world, so much information that is being thrown at us every second of our lives, help us to be able to sort through what is true and what is false, especially when it comes to faith. Lord, as we come to you, we lift up people in our church, Johnny Hamlet, Annie Hamlet, David Grubbs, Mike Laster, Lawson Sayer, Clyde Taylor, Pam Phillips's daughter's boyfriend, Charlie Pace, Ed Johnson, for Nettie Espinoza, for Miss Mildred Castleberry. For Dot Bates. Lord, I pray for our church. Lord, turn us around. Make us soar. Lift us up in your glory. Help us to accomplish your goals for us. Bless this time together, Lord, as we read from your word. Speak to us from it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness." 
He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. By the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person all also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are the rules. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I want to ask Randy Blanchard to come up here. Where's Randy? Randolph, there he is, way back there. Come up here. And Carly Davis has agreed to help me. Carly, where are you? Come up here, Carly. And uh, I need Erica Miller to come up here. Erica doesn't even know I asked her, was going to ask her, but I just can't. Resist asking uh, Erica. Y'all come up here on the stage, up here on the stage, and I'm going to move this over to the side a little bit. Uh, Carly, you stand right here, baby, and all right, come on up here. Oh, you're going to wait for the ladies first, Randolph. What a gentleman he is. Is that not? Yeah, yeah. Give Randy a hand. Oh, yeah. All right, all right. You just stand right, right here, Miss Erica. I've got a job for you too. I'll tell you what it is, Randolph. I'm going to let you go first. Now, here's what we're going to do, Randolph. I have. I have uh, three cups that contain red stuff in them. One of them is brand name Heinz ketchup. And two of them are generic ketchup. They're fake ketchup. And I want to see if you can tell me by tasting them which one is the real deal. Okay? All right? Now, let me ask you something. Just looking at those, what are you looking for as you try to, uh, as you try, where'd that microphone go? Oh, right there, okay. As, 
Randolph, as you try to think about which is the real ketchup, tell me what you're looking for in the real ketchup that you won't find in the fake ketchup. Can you tell me? I'm looking for color. Color? They're all red, Randolph. They're all red. Now, they're all red now, Jimmy. Some of them are redder than others. Some of them are redder than others. Okay, Randolph. Okay. So what else are you looking for? From here, I'm just looking to make sure they're liquid. Are they all liquid? <clears throat> they look like they are. Okay. Okay. What else are you looking for? When you taste it, what's, what's, what's going to be what you're looking for? Well, your, your average non-ketchup has a bitter taste to it. Heinz is kind of sweet, so... <laughs> is that right? All right. Okay. All right. Well, here we go. Um, I'm going to, we're going to start out with this one. And um, I'll let you take one of these spoons. Just take one of the spoons out of there. There you go. And I want you to just take a little sliver of that ketchup, or however much you want, and taste it. Okay. Just run it through there. Yeah. Is it, is it red? Indeed. Is it uh, liquid? It is indeed. And is it tart or sweet? It's sweet. It's sweet. Mmm. All right. Hold on to that. Hold on. What, don't, I I, hold on to that. No, I'm not going to hold on. I'm not going to let you hold on to this. That's okay. That's number two. That's number two. All right. Now, okay. This is number three, and I'm going to give you. No, I'm going to give you a separate spoon. Just stick that spoon in your pocket there, Randolph. I don't want it back. I want to make sure it's clean before I did. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, dip into this one, Randolph. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you wish you had a French fry, don't you? Yeah. All right. Is it red? It is. And liquid? Yep. And is it sweet? Not as sweet as the other one, don't seem like. Huh. Okay. That's number three. That's number three. All right. All right. Now remember, remember the first two there, okay? And uh, here's the last one. I want you to dip into there. And there you go. Okay. All right. Is it red? It is. Liquid? It is that. Sweet? Yes, sir. Sweet. Okay. All right. Of those three that you tasted, tell me which one is the real deal. Was it the first one you tasted, the second one you tasted, or the third one you tasted? I believe it was the second one. The second one. Ladies and gentlemen, this guy knows his Heinz ketchup. He's right. Hey! I should have thrown another brand in there. <clears throat> All right, all right. You can, you can be seated. I'm through with you, Randolph. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Come over here, Carly. Now, Carly, I have three cups of cola up here. One of them is real Coke. Two of them are fake Coke, generic Coke. So... I want you to taste them. I'm going to put a little ice in here to make them a little better to deal with. But I want you to taste them, and then I want you to tell me which one is real Coke. All right, will you hold this microphone for me? All right, here we go. I'm going to take a spoon here, and I'm just going to put a little uh, ice into these Cokes. Boom, boom. All right, there you go. There you go. Oops. 
Amanda will tell you that I always drop ice when I'm getting it out of the freezer. Okay, here we go. All right. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's taste uh, this one first. This is uh, cup number three. Okay. Are you ready? So, by the way, what are you looking for when, when, when you drink? When you drink, uh, try to discern from real Coke versus fake Coke. What are you looking for, Carly? How it tastes. How about that, Carly? Isn't she? All right. Okay, Carly, here we go. Uh, this, this is cup number three, so you, you take it and you just sip it and kind of swirl it around a little bit. By the way, do you like Coke? Okay. Yeah. Sure. What, what's your favorite drink? Root beer. Root beer. Wow. Root beer. All right, did you get enough of that to taste? All right, you sure? That's number three. Now just uh, hold on to that. And uh, this is cup number two. Cup number two. So uh, you just take a swirl of that. Okay. All right. Is it different from that first one? Is it in what way? I don't know. It just tastes kind of flat. I don't know. It tastes flat? Oh, what about that? Okay. All right. And this, and this, the other one was not flat? Okay. And what about this one? All right. That's cup number, what cup number is that? Number one. All right, so we went three, two, one. Are you ready? All right, which of those three, cup three, cup two, cup one, contains the real Coke? Number three. Number three. Ladies and gentlemen, Carly Davis knows her Coca-Cola. What about that? Good job. Now you can be seated now, okay. All right, Uh, let's see. Erica. Erica, I need for you to be my secretary for a moment, will you? I want you to hold that clipboard and this uh, Sharpie, okay? Now, uh, I need for you to write down some things. Ladies and gentlemen, I need for you to look at this uh, bubblegum machine here. Do you see it? All right. Uh, I want you to guess how many bubblegum balls are in this machine here, Okay. There is an exact number. I know what that number is. I know it. Because I took them all out and I counted them back in there. It took me three days and three nights. Are you ready? All right, I need for some folks to raise their hand to tell me how many you believe are in here. This is Mr. Logan. Logan, how many? Um, I think about 280. 280. Would you write that down, Erica? All right. Did we see this? Uh, stand up, Trey Cochran. Do we have a visitor card for this guy? Uh, he hasn't been with us all summer because he's been up in volunteer territory doing mission work, foreign mission work up in Tennessee. Uh, how many are in here, Trey? I'm going to guess 300. 300. Trey said 300. Need some folks back here. Sister Smith, how many do you say are here? 360. 360. 360. All right. Tell you how, how many over here? Uh, uh, 380. 380. 380. Mr. Johnson, how many? 350. Let's get two more. We had somebody over here. All right. Yeah. What is your name? Jacqueline. Jacqueline, how many are in here? <laughs> My daughter has one of them things that we counted, and I can't remember the number, but there's like 320 in there. 320. One more. Carson. Carson. I'll get two more. Carson. 600. 
600. How about you, Mary? Are you counting, Mary? Are you counting? She's moving her lips like she's counting. 300? Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. What are the numbers there, Erica? Let me get up here. What are the numbers? There's 280, 300, 360, 380, 350, all right, now I want to ask you one other thing, one other thing. I need uh, six people to tell me what your favorite song is, what your favorite song is. Raise your hand if you have a favorite song, favorite song. Mr. Beatty. Uh, Funeral for a Friend, Elton John. Great song, great song. What are the lyrics to that? Uh, there are none. Ah! <laughs> there are no. <laughs> Dolly Brundage. How great thou art. Awesome. Awesome. All right. All right. We got Rach back here. Rach, what is your favorite song? Hey, Dalton. Songbird. Songbird. That's a great song, too. All right. That's three. All right. All right. Judy Beard. 10,000 reasons. That's one of those Matt Kiefer specialties. Uh, uh, Bonnie Chester. I know my Redeemer lives. Did you have your hand up, Amy Lee? What is it? Landslide Stevie Nicks. Landslide Stevie Nicks. I like that. All right. All right. One more. One more. Let's come over here. Honey Kilgore. Honey Kilgore, what's your favorite song? One Million Voices uh, by Barlow Girl. Good song. Good song. What's your favorite song, Trevor Hammaker? All My Rowdy Friends Have Settled Down. Isn't that what it is? I knew it was. Ah! Did you write those down, Erica? No. All right. Well, we remember, though. I didn't tell you to write those down, did I? We remember them. Now, here's my question for you. You heard those six different, actually seven different songs, Counting Trevor's, All My Rowdy Friends. Which one of those is the right one? Which one of those is the right one? I hear Landslide. I hear something else. Okay. When it comes to your Christian faith and what is true and what is not true, is it more like the bubblegum analogy? Or is it more like which is the right favorite song? I read of a pastor friend. Thank you, Erica Miller. Give her a hand. Thank you, love. I love that Erica Miller. I'm telling you. She is awesome. She is awesome. Uh, is this your last Sunday with us for a while? You're going back to school? All right. You're talking about a Christian light in her school. That's Erica Miller right there. I'll guarantee you. Um, yeah. I read about a pastor who had a new member class for new Christians, and he always started the new member class by pulling out a, uh, a bubblegum machine and asking his 
uh, students, how many bubblegum balls were in there, and they did much like you did. They guessed, and nobody got the exact number right. Uh, but he, he gave them the right number like I did with you, telling you 497 bubblegum balls. You know, by the way, I really thought some of you were going to say, yeah, but how many pink ones are in here? Yeah, there's 71. Just thought I'd let you know. There's 71 of them. He would ask them, and they would guess, and then, and then he would ask them their favorite song, and he would write down six or seven of those favorite songs. He said, now, which one is the right one? And, and uh, almost in almost every class, the people would answer, that is a matter of, of uh, opinion. It's a matter of preference. preference. There's no real right answer there because they can all be right. And then he stopped, and he said, okay, when it comes to your Christian faith, what is true and what is not, do you look at that like... The number of bubblegum balls in a bubblegum machine, there is a right number and the others are wrong. Or do you look at it as the favorite song where, oh, all of them are okay and all of them are right. It's just a matter of preference. How do you look at Christian faith? Do you believe that all religions lead to God? Or do you believe what Jesus said when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? The Apostle Paul is uh, speaking to a church at Colossae who, they started out right. They started out putting their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ. But since they got started, there was a group who had moved in and started offering some good-sounding but still incorrect philosophies and teachings. And Paul is very concerned about his friends in Colossae because he views these other doctrines, these other teachings as um, poison. Let me ask you this. I want you to be honest with me about this. How many of you have had a problem with ants this summer? Anybody? Raise your hand. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We have to. Boy, I don't like those ants. Uh, I went out uh, cutting my grass the other day and decided to. What I like to do is run over ant hills with my lawnmower. And uh, but don't do that unless you have a bagger a bagger, to bag up those critters. Because if you don't, if you just kind of scoot them out to the side like I like to do, because I don't like having to unload the bagger every 10 minutes, it'll scoot those ants right up your leg. (laughs) I know, that happened to me. And I had some folks go by my house, and they put on Facebook that they saw me out there dancing. I wasn't dancing. (laughs) I wasn't. Ants, they're everywhere. When it rains, when it rains like what we've had, ants will move to dry ground. And the, their favorite dry ground is your house. And they will get in there. Uh, you might be interested that, uh, and that, that's the case with these little bitty ants. It's also the case with fire ants, which are not native to this area, by the way. They were transported here by somebody. They were. I mean, when I was a little boy, you didn't see these massive these massive, earth-moving ant mounds like we do today. You didn't see that when I was a kid. You only saw the itsy-bitsy little ones, right? Scientists have come up with a a tasteless, odorless, undetectable poison for ants. 
And once they came up with it, they, they figured out that it would kill ants because they, they tested them on ants in a controlled situation. But, but the real challenge was to figure out how to get the ants to take this stuff out in their uh, natural habitat. And so uh, they started sprinkling, on, sprinkling this poison on the ant hills, and the ants wouldn't touch it. They would not touch it. How they knew it was there, I don't know. Because, like I said, it's odorless, tasteless, non-detectable. They didn't touch it. And so what the scientists decided to do was put uh, what they found, and I don't know what it was, but their ant's favorite food. And they mixed this poison in with their favorite food and sprinkled it out on the ant hills and around the ant hills. And the ants would come out eager to get that favorite food of theirs, unknowing that... Uh, it was tainted with this poison, and they got the poison on their favorite food, took it down. The first thing they do is take it to the queen ant, and there's only one queen ant in that whole uh, crowd population of ants in that hill. They take it down to the queen ant. The queen ant eats it, and it kills the queen ant immediately, taking away their ability to produce more ants. And then over time, they just die of poison and starvation. That's a similar analogy to what happens in, uh, among Christians, a body of Christians, when, when a good-sounding, non-detectable, poisonous teaching comes in. It's usually not something that's just bold and blunt and obviously wrong. It's kind of mixed in with something that we know is true or that we really like to hear or that tastes really good. And we take it in not knowing that we are slowly killing ourselves spiritually by taking in that poison. This is what Paul was concerned with in Colossae. They were like an ant bed that had, in the process of eating what they loved to eat, had also taken in a poison unknowingly. And it jeopardized their salvation and the future salvation of people who would be in contact with the people at Colossae. And so he gives us several distinctives of falsehood. I'm going to give you three very quickly. First of all, a falsehood is any belief that adds to the requirements for salvation. Any belief that adds to the requirements for salvation. What are the requirements for salvation? We find them, I think, in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. To say that salvation is by grace means that, that salvation, that is eternal life, is given by God as a gift. You don't work for a gift. You don't earn a gift. Someone gives you a gift based upon their character and their love for you. And you don't do anything for it except for receive it. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, Ephesians 2.9 says. Not by works so that no one can boast. Salvation is entirely a free gift of God. And the only thing that you can do legitimately is to receive it. You don't have to be good. In fact, the moment that we say you have to be good, 
to be saved, it's not Christian salvation. Now, I'm not saying don't be good. Certainly be good. But don't look, as be, don't look at being good as a requirement for salvation. Reading the Bible every day, isn't that a great thing to do? People, well, you know, that's something that would nourish us to read the Bible every day. But if I said to you that in order to be saved, you have to receive God's salvation, plus you must read the Bible every day. Guess what? I have thrown that salvation out the door because it's no longer Christian salvation. Whatever we add to the biblical requirements of salvation makes it a falsehood. Second, any belief that diminishes the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Any belief that diminishes the the preeminence of Jesus Christ. For in Christ, Paul says in in chapter 2, verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. In other words, Jesus, Paul says, is God. He's fully God. Any, Any belief that diminishes his significance, that diminishes his preeminence, Paul says, is a falsehood. So if you have religions that lift up somebody else or something else in the same line with Jesus, that is a falsehood. Paul said it's Jesus and Jesus alone so that Jesus, God has set everything up so that Jesus might have the supremacy, the preeminence. And number three, any belief that piles on more requirements for the living of the Christian life is also a distinctive of falsehood. Paul says this in verse uh, 16. He says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or by religious festival, new moon celebration, Sabbath day. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen. I've seen this. It's in a vision or a dream and they're puffed up with idle notions, but their minds are really unspiritual, he says. They've lost connection with the head. Who's that? Christ. Then he says this, verse 20, he says, He says, since you died with Christ to these things, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you still submit to its rules? What rules? Don't handle that. Don't taste this. Don't touch that. He says, these rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on their own self-imposed worship. Follow Christ. Receive salvation by grace. And then follow Christ. Christ. Follow Christ. I've told you before that when I, were, I was uh, in the 1980s, I was pastoring uh, a little church in Forsyth County, bivocationally, which meant I was pastoring that church, plus I was working uh, another job. And in this, in this case, I was working uh, for the First National Bank of Atlanta. And when I started First Atlanta, they took us down to a central headquarters, and they put us through a two-week uh, eight-hour-a-day, five-day-a-week orientation. And one of those mornings, they sat us down with a bundle of $20 bills. There were a hundred of them, $2,000 worth of $20 bills. And they said, take the little strap off of them and just start counting them. And they said, we want you to count them fast, so don't go 20, 40, 60. They said, go 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14. And so we would count them. And, and uh, invariably... 
uh, the people who were in the room, as we started counting them, we would look up to see what everybody else was doing and what the teachers were doing. And they stopped us in the middle of that and they said, no, I want you to start over. This time, keep your eyes on the bills as you count them. Do not take your eyes off the bills. And so from that point on, we just went through that stack of hundred, uh, $120 bills and we'd go through them, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 40, 60, 80, 20, 20, and, and, and we would go through them. And when we finished one, they said, all right, stack them back up and do it again. And we would do it again. And we spent the better part of two hours going through those stacks, counting them, and then stacking them back together, and then recounting them and doing over and over and over again. And finally, somebody said, why are we doing this? And the leader of our orientation said, I'm trying to get you familiar with the real $20 bill. Because if you are familiar enough with a real $20 bill, you will immediately identify a counterfeit one. And you know what? It worked. Because later that day, they gave us stacks again and told us to go back through them. Except this time, they had inserted authentic counterfeit bills that looked really remarkably close to the real thing. But because we had spent the better part of two hours earlier that day looking, scrutinizing through that stack of real $20 bills, we were immediately able to detect the counterfeit one. So what is the best way to avoid the distinctives of falsehood? Here it is. Here it is. Know the truth. Become familiar with the truth. And don't rely on what I say or what somebody else says. You find it for yourself. I'm not saying don't listen to somebody else. Don't listen to a pastor or to a teacher or to a mentor. I'm not saying don't listen to them. But I am saying this. Don't just believe everything you hear. You go back and test it for yourself. Because God forbid that anybody go through life believing something to be true only to find after you die and stand before God that what you had held on to was counterfeit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, show us the truth. And Lord, we know, because you said so, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, help us to just accept the fact that salvation is a gift to be received, not a prize to be won or earned for the moment that we make it something that, is, that we deserve by merit or because of what good we've done or some uh, tenure of work, that moment, that salvation becomes false. Because true salvation is by grace. We simply receive it. Help us not to make it harder than it is. And Lord, once we become your children by receiving you into our lives, our hearts, help us not to make living the Christian life harder by insisting that people be like we are. Or, or putting requirements on the living of the Christian life that are not requirements laid out in your word. 
In fact, Lord, teach us that, that in a body of believers, there are more things that we don't have to agree on than what we do agree on in order to live the Christian life. But help us to know what we do need to be. Help us to know the truth of how we can be like Christ, more like Christ every single day. Lord, help us to search our hearts right now to determine, am I living in the truth? In Jesus' name, amen.